Here we go. We're going to do part four of our Unshakable uh, series. We're talking about Deborah today. But man, I just want to share real quick. Um, some of you are kind of new to Mosaic and um, maybe you haven't come to Class 101. And I'm just going to share a little bit about who we are as a church. Um, he, we like to call ourselves a three-chair church. All right, so at Mosaic, we believe that a healthy church is made up of thirds. And you say, well, what does that mean? I just wanted you to imagine there's a table, right? Um, and I'm the dude with the food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a blessing and the privilege that I have to be able to, to preach the gospel here at Mosaic Church. And so just imagine this, this table has three chairs around it. The first chair, it represents unbelievers. And we really believe that every single church should have unbelievers in it. Because if it doesn't, then who are we preaching to, right? Jesus put us here to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. We believe it's the best message on the planet. It's life-changing. It is, it is the way to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so if we aren't bringing our friends and getting people in this building and in our ministries and we're not rubbing shoulders with people outside of the building that don't know Christ, then, then we've, we're off mission. And so the first chair and the first group that should be represented in our church is unbelievers. And because of that, uh, that affects the way we do ministry. When I talk, I want to use language and words that make sense to everybody, not just people who have been in church for 50 years. Can I get an amen? Right? You know, the unbelievers, they don't even know what amen means. And that's okay. We love that. And we're glad that, that they're here. Uh, because they're going to have an opportunity to meet Christ. The second chair, it represents new believers. And these are the people that just came to know Christ and they are so passionate about Jesus. They're bringing their friends. They're, they're, they're just uh, telling everybody that they know about how, what Jesus has done in their life. These are some of my favorite people on the planet because they're the most passionate, right? And, and, and so that, that second chair is made up of new believers. They're growing. And then the third chair is made up of mature believers. These are people that have, have, they've chosen to follow Christ. They've gotten baptized. They've plugged in. They're serving. They're going to life groups. They're, they're growing in their relationship with Christ. It has nothing to do with how long they've come to church. It has everything to do with the fruit of the spirit that's coming out of their life. And these people are leading other people to Jesus. They're helping the, the, the other people around the table grow in Christ, right? And so we're a three-chair church. And that means that we want to be intentional in how we do ministry to our kids, to our youth, in our life groups, the way we do missions, the way we do outreach, the way that we do Sunday morning service. And so if you come to Mosaic and you're like, man, this church is a little bit different. They do things a little bit different than maybe, uh, you know, a traditional church, whatever that means, where you've gone. Well, the reason is, is because we want to be really intentional we believe that this church should be a life-saving station for people who don't know Jesus. We believe that people should regularly and intentionally be given, be given a chance to meet the God of all creation, the one that died on the cross for them and holds the keys to salvation. And so when you come to Mosaic, that's who we are. And man, we'd love for you to be a part. We'd love for you to dig in. But I just wanna encourage you, this is not a church for spectators. This is not a church for people that just want to come and sit and check it off their weekly calendar. This is a church for people that are searching, that want to find Jesus, that know there's more to life, that haven't found their purpose yet, and they want to get active in finding it. This is a church for people that don't want to just say they follow Jesus, but are actively growing in their faith. And so my prayer for you is that as you sit here on Sunday morning, that the Holy Spirit activates something in you that wants to move 
that wants to get active in the kingdom of God, that doesn't just want to hear Jesus's words, but to also do what it says. And so as I speak today and as I speak every week and as, as we have other people share, that's the heart of our church. We want to be a life-saving rescue station in Milford and their surrounding communities so that people can meet Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so during this series, Unshakable, um, we've talked about David. We've talked about Samson. This week, we're talking about De Deborah. We're talking about Old Testament characters and what we can learn from their life. And we're asking this question, what does it mean to be unshakable, to live an uncompromised life? From David, we learned that God is looking for uncompromising people. We got to be people that are growing, that are smart relationally, that say yes to Jesus. From Samson, we learned how we need to be strong at the right things, not just physically strong or not just outwardly strong, but strong in the Lord, strong in our commitment to him. Today, as we talk about Deborah, the big idea is that we need to be ready to say yes and that anyone, anywhere can say yes. You could say yes to Jesus today. You could say yes to the plan he has for your life. So we find ourselves in Judges chapter four. This is the beginning of the story of Deborah. And it starts like so many other stories in the book of Judges. And it says the Israelites again, everybody say again. Again, did evil in the Lord's sight. And right there from the very first verse, we can interject our lives because we've all been there where it's like, again, Lord, I messed up. Again, I didn't do what I knew I was supposed to do. And so the first thing we learn from the story of Deborah is that we need to be ready to lead. This is the first blank in your notes. We need to be ready to lead regardless of the circumstances that we live in. If you're joining us online today, you can op open up the Mosaic app and you can follow along with the notes in there. But we see that Deborah was ready to lead. Someone has to be ready to lead. In every situation, someone rises to the top and is ready to lead, to make tough choices, to make tough decisions, even when times are tough. God uses people that are ready. And so we see the Israelites again are in oppression. Again, they're in slavery. And for the past 20 years, they've been under the hand of this, this foreign leader named Sisera. Sisera had 900 iron chariots. This dude had a, an awesome army with trained warriors. They had completely de-weaponized Israel. And so as, as Israel was literally serving this other nation. I think uh, why, they, why they say, point out that, that Sisera had 900 iron chariots is because many people back then only had brass weapons and brass cannot stand up to iron. Iron beats brass every single day. And so you could only imagine the state of the Israelites after 20 years of oppression, 20 years of slavery, right? That they were just dejected. They had no way to fight back. They had no way to stand up against the, these, these people that they had been turned over to because they had done evil in the Lord's sight. And so the Bible tells us that during this oppression, Deborah judged Israel. What does that mean? You know, it, it explains that Deborah would sit under this tree. She had her tree where she would sit under it and the Israelites would go to her under her tree and ask 
for counsel and seek judgments. Like if they had arguments or they needed advice, they would go to her and she would be the judge. Now listen, when people come to where you are, that's influence, right? If you're having to run around all over the place and, and, and go here and go there and go there and, and no one's coming to you and no one's following you, then it could be because of a lack of influence in your life. But we see that Deborah had influence. I love what John Maxwell says. How do you know if you're leading? How do you know if you, you have influence? Look behind and see if anybody's following you. If no one's following you, then you're just out taking a walk, right? Love that. And so we see that Deborah had influence because people came to her, to her spot, and sought her counsel. Listen, there are two types of people when things get hard. When life falls apart, when the wheels fall off, when stuff happens, there's two types of people. They're the ones who stay faithful, steady, and true. That was Deborah. She stayed close to the Lord. She was able to hear from God and she was able to lead. And then there's the ones who don't stay close to God. They don't stay faithful. They don't stay steady and they don't stay true. And, but hopefully they're learning how, right? Hopefully that's the story for you and me, that even when we didn't stay steady, we have a heart to learn. And it doesn't mean that the ones who stay faithful and true aren't afraid, right? People who stay steady and true and have steadfast endurance, they're still afraid sometimes. They still have anxious thoughts. They still struggle. But it just means that they figured out how to live an unshakable life. Deborah had, had obviously found the secret that even though Israel was in oppression, even though they were under the thumb of a foreign ruler, she was able to still have influence and make a difference. Deborah was unshakable. One commentary says that her testimony for the Lord and her influence upon the people were so great and pervasive that she was known as the mother in Israel. We see that in Judges 5, 7. She was the, known as the mom. She took care of everybody. She led everybody right? She kept judging. She kept serving even when times were tough. And so in Judges 4, 6, it says that one day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. She said to him, this is what the Lord God of Israel commands you, underline that, commands you, call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun, at, at Mount Tabor, and I will call out Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Just want to point out a couple things. This wasn't a question. It wasn't a, hey, what do you think about this? Hey, you know, can I recruit you to this? No. She brings him in, and with all the influence and strength of a, somebody who is confident, she looked at Barak in the eyes and said, the Lord, this is what the Lord says. He commands you, not asks, he commands you. She tells him exactly what the Lord wants him to do. And then she ends it with that, you know, that the Lord says, there I will give you victory over him. Now, I love that when God is clear, when there's clarity, right? We talked about that a little, bit, a little bit last week, when there's no lack of clarity. God was clear to Barak here that he was going to be with him, that he was commanding him. It was not optional, right? And I just have to say a command with a promise 
ain't bad, right? If you're gonna command me to do something, but there's a promise attached to it, that's way better than just a command with no explanation. And so God already said he's gonna win. God already said there's gonna be provision. God already said that victory is already determined. So think about that. But here's what was going on in Barak's mind. There's no standing army in Israel. They have no weapons. Sisera has those 900 iron chariots that eat bronze weapons for breakfast. Barak was scared. And we see this in verses 8 through 9. Barak told her, I will go, but. Have you ever made a statement like that to God? I'll do it, but. Only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but. So he had his excuse or his exception and Deborah shoots right back with hers. I'll go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. Now, I think it's already cool that in this day and age and in this context, way back when, Deborah is a leader. She is a woman. She's already flying against the status quo of that culture and at that time. And she is the judge and she's standing up. She's looking Barak in his eyes and, and giving him orders from God. She's doing her thing, right? And Barak comes back with this, with this you know, honestly kind of lousy excuse. I'll go, but only if you go with me. And she shoots back and says, okay, but you're not going to get the glory. You're not going to get the recognition. This battle is going to be won at the hands of a woman. Now, I know that we live in a, diff a little different age and things, you know, relationships between men and women and, and the, 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 you know, what people think of, of who can do what seems a little bit different these days than it did back then, a lot different. Uh, but there's still a little bit of something in a guy's heart when he gets beat by a woman. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, and you might be a little offended by that, but I'll just give you a personal example. One time I was running a marathon and um, I was in shape. I had trained hard for this one. It was my best training year ever. I had already run a few marathons. This was my fourth marathon and I'd taken the family with me. I think Jolie's mom was even with us. And we, we drove over to uh, Columbia, Indiana, out in the middle of nowhere uh, to run this race. It was called the Veterans Marathon. And uh, so we get up that morning, the weather is absolutely perfect. Sun is out, there's no wind. It's 50 or 55 degrees, which is absolutely perfect running weather. And so I get out on the starting line. We start this race, I'm trucking along. And um, you know, depending on how much you know about running, um, uh, I, I, I was already in my 30s, well, probably 34 then. And, and I'm not super fast, but, but um, at this point, I was as fast as I had ever been in long distance running. And so for the first 20 miles of this race, I'm averaging an 8-10 pace, which I know some of you don't have any um, perspective with that, but for me, that was really, really good, okay? And so after 20 miles, I'm still averaging this 8-10 pace, and I'm looking at my, my GPS watch, and I'm like, oh my goodness, if I keep this up, I'm going to finish this marathon in somewhere between three, three hours and 30 minutes and three hours and 40 minutes, completely blowing away my best time of four hours. And so I'm pumped. And I'm like, this is amazing. 
And so I get, uh, and so I'm like, you know what, just to be safe, because I'd had trouble in previous races with cramping and that kind of stuff, I'm going to slow down to nine minute miles for the past, for the last four miles or so, and just kind of take it easy just to make sure I finish strong. And so I get to mile 24 and a half, and I'm still feeling pretty good. I'm, I'm mentally strong. I don't want to quit. And my calf, like it had done many times before, starts cramping and locking up as hard as a rock. And let me tell you, when you get a calf cramp, you can't run anymore. You literally, your body just stops. And so it locks up and I'm screaming. I'm like, ah, and I get down and I'm stretching because all I want to do is keep running, but I can't. And so I stretch it out and then I would hobble and I'd run a little ways and it would cramp again and I'd stretch it out and I'd hobble and I'd run a little ways and it would cramp again. And so for the last mile and a half, I'm hobbling, I'm stretching, I'm trying, I'm walking, I'm just trying to get to the end. And all the while I'm like, no, all that amazing for me work that I had done in the previous 20 some miles is going down the tubes. And so I'm coming into town. I'm about a quarter mile from the finish line. I'm hobbling, I'm hurting, I'm in pain, and I'm just dejected. And lo and behold, and mind you, I'm still like on pace to finish a marathon in, in three hours and 45 minutes or so, which is really good for a lot of people. And I'm going along and I'm just going real slow and all of a sudden, this lady from Golden Girls passes me up. She literally looked like one of the Golden Girls. I even went back to the results a few days later just to see her age and she was in her 60s. And she just, just cruises on by me. Now, I'm a secure man. But in that moment, I'm like, what, oh Lord, has happened to my life, right? And I, all I had to do was just chuckle and I'm like, you go girl, you go. And she cruised on past me and crossed the finish line and a couple minutes later, I hobble across the finish line and I just sit down dejected because I just got beat by this seasoned older lady. And so I can only imagine Brock when Deborah looks him in the eyes and says, okay, because of your hesitancy, this battle is going to be won at the hands of a woman. I had a buddy, his name was Derek, and, and one time he, he, he's one of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life, and he and his new wife, they had just gotten married, and Derek was this young, strapping, big, strong guy. And they get home, and they're going up to the apartment, and he, he looks up, on the balcony and he sees a shadow. And immediately he gets kind of anxious. He's like, what's going on? Somebody's up there by our apartment. And so what does Derek do? He lets his wife go first, <laughs> right? And, and so they get up there and, and he's kind of acting like sheepish and kind of weird and Rachel's like, and he didn't tell her. He's like, and Rachel's like, Derek, what's going on? What's wrong with you? Oh, nothing, nothing. So he lets her go in first to the apartment, right? And, and after they get in there, 
he's looking around and he's being all weird. And Rachel's like, what's wrong with you? And Derek's like, I saw a shadow. I thought somebody was in here. And Rachel looks at Derek and says, and you let me go first, <laughs> right? And so when I got passed in the marathon, I wanted to win. But here Derek is sending his wife in first to the apartment and we tease him to this day. It's one of those four funny stories we sit around at dinner and, and tease him about. It's like, what in the world were you thinking sending your wife in first where there could be somebody in the apartment waiting for you? And he said, well, if she goes in and she gets taken out, at least I'll be there to take out the bad guy. And we're like, dude, you need so much help. You need help. And so you can only imagine the feelings of Barak. You know, he's got this inner struggle. He's like, he wants to serve God. He's been the one that's called, but, but he wants Deborah to go with him. And so I don't know if Deborah was saying this with a little sass. I don't know if she was just trying to insult him or she was just stating a fact. Hey, because you were sheepish in your response to the command of the Lord, you know, you're not going to be the one that gets the credit. But I can imagine that Barak was embarrassed a little bit by his, by, by his response. And so the second thing that we learn from this story is that you and I, we've got to be ready to say yes to Jesus. We've got to be ready to say yes when the Lord calls, right? Listen, influence makes you a leader, not title. Influence makes you a leader, not your title. I can imagine that the reason Barak was called because maybe the people looked at him as a leader. Maybe the people looked at him as somebody with influence, right? Maybe he was a leader by title, but when he showed up and because of his response, he lost influence. You know, I have people come to me sometimes and they're like, man, Joe, the church should really do X, Y, Z. We should really have a ministry for this or for that. To which I say, awesome, when are you going to start? And when, they, when I say that, they look at me and they're like, oh, I didn't mean me. I meant you. You should do this. You should do that. And listen. Listen. When God puts something on your heart, when God says go, you have to be ready and willing to say yes. You see, when Barak wasn't willing to fully accept the responsibility, he forfeited some of his influence because he wasn't ready to give God a full yes. Jesus had some interactions like this too in his life and in his ministry. He would, some, some people would come and say to Jesus, I want to follow you, Jesus, right? And Jesus would say, okay, come on, let's go. And then one man, he said, but wait, let me go back and bury my father. Let me go back and take care of things at home. And what that guy meant was, I'm going to go home and wait for my father to pass. And so that could be a year. It could be two years. Basically, he was saying, I'll follow you someday. I want to follow you, but I'm not quite ready yet. You see, I think that's what was going on in Barak's heart when Deborah said, go. When Deborah said, this is the command of the Lord. He was like, I want to, but not quite yet. Some of you might be a season in life where you're like, man, I'll follow Jesus when this season at work gets over. I'll follow Jesus when I learn some more. I'll follow Jesus when, when life just settles down a little bit. Let me, let me just tell you, life is never going to settle down until the day you pass over into eternity. It's just not. And if you're going to wait until everything's perfect to follow Jesus, the devil will make sure everything's not perfect. Don't. Look back when Jesus calls you. Listen, God is patient and he's sovereign. 
and he is ready for us to not have everything together all the time. But I think God deserves immediate obedience rather than delayed obedience. He deserves it. He blesses immediate obedience, extravagant faith in his abilities. You see, Barak was desperate, but he was not willing. He was des- I'm sure he was desperate. They were under oppression. They were under slavery. So he probably wanted things to change, but he wasn't willing to do what it took. He was living in oppression, but not willing to do what it took to get out of it. The bondage, listen, the bondage was more comfortable than what it took to get freedom. His known bondage, the thing he was used to for the last 20 years, was more comfortable than an unknown freedom. He got used to it. Man, I just want to challenge you, church, to be ready to say yes to Jesus and don't get so comfortable in your life and it's comfortable with comfort and comfortable with things going just great in your life that you're not willing to say yes to Jesus when it's going to cost you something. Kind of like a frog in a kettle. You put the frog in when the water's cold, you turn the heat on, that frog never jumps out because he's comfortable. I tell you, you can be comfortable and stay somewhere where Jesus doesn't want you to stay. And in the end, that doesn't lead somewhere good. What does it say in Proverbs? There's a way that seems right unto the man, but in the end, it leads to death. I'm so thankful though for the grace of God because God kept working his plan. Even when Barak was timid, God kept working his plan. He's patient with your trepidation. He's patient when you're indecisive. He's patient when you're reluctant to give your yes. Aren't you thankful for that? We see this in in, in the story of Thomas when Thomas was a doubter. We see this in the story of Gideon. We see this in the story of Moses. We see this in so many people in God's word that that were just not quite ready to give their full yes, but Jesus was still patient with them and Jesus was, and God was patient with Barak too. But my question to us today is why not be ready to say yes when Jesus says go? Why not? We see in verse 10 that at Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali and 10,000 warriors went up to be with him. So even though he was timid, he was still able to gather the 10,000. And then it says Deborah also went with him just like she said she would. And verses 12 through 13, it says when Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, he called for all of his 900 iron chariots and all of his warriors, and they marched from Harasheth, Hagayim, to the Kishon River. Then Deborah, in verse 14, said to Barak, Get ready. Get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When, Bar- when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all of his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. I love this. Barak had to get ready. And then he had to attack. He had to get ready to say yes. He had to get ready and then he had to act before God showed up. You see, saying yes to Jesus is an everyday decision. He had to say yes to Deborah when she first gave him the message. He had to say yes on the day of battle. He had to say yes when he got in the battle. He had to continue to say yes. It's not just a one-time yes. 
Listen, God is on the move, and don't miss your opportunity to say yes. It's not just a yes when you first gave your heart and your life to Christ a long time ago. It's an everyday pursuit of saying yes to Jesus. His yes came before the miraculous. His yes to get ready and to attack came before God showed up and threw the, threw the enemies into a panic. So I just want to encourage you, step out and say yes. Be ready to say yes to Jesus. The third thing that we see in this story, as we wrap it up today, is that we have to be ready to do our part. Be ready to do your part. Be ready. Because you, yes you, every single person in this room is going to have a a part to play in the story of God. In his story that he's telling through humanity. And so what do we see? Barak attacks, Sisera flees. As he's running away, he gets a distance away from the battle and he's passing a tent, just some random tent of somebody that lives there. And this woman named JL says, come on in. You can take shelter in here. I'll hide you. And so she goes into the tent, or Sisera goes into the tent of JL. He's exhausted. He's so exhausted, he has to talk. He has to stop, kind of like me at the end of that marathon. He is wiped out. He had been fighting. He'd been traveling. He'd been running on foot without his horse and chariot. And he goes into the tent. And so just think what JL felt like. JL is a woman. She was at home while the rest of the men are out to battle. She's just doing her thing. And all of a sudden, the commander of the foreign army that had oppressed them for 20 years shows up on her doorstep. I can imagine she's afraid. I can imagine she doesn't know what to do. But this woman has got it going on. She is planning. She sees her opportunity. And so she invites him into the tent. She says, lay over here. I'll cover you up and I'll hide you from the, her own countrymen that were pursuing Sisera. In verse 21, it says this, but when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. This is one of those stories in the Bible that just blows your mind. And it's like, man, if the Bible was a movie, the movie might be a little, a little um, gory at times, right? And so she creeps up and she drives the tent peg through his temple and into the ground. And so he died just like that, right? Man, guys, if you ever thought the Bible was a boring book to read, you need to read a little bit more. There's some exciting stories in God's word. And so she goes in, she hides him, she tricks him, she, take care of, she takes care of business. Remember Deborah's words earlier? The Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. You know, you might have thought that when Deborah said that, she was talking about herself. But she wasn't only talking about herself, she was also talking about Jael who is going to be the one to deal the last and final blow of victory for the Lord. What I love about this is everyone did their part. Everyone did their part. Deborah did her part to lead and to lead strong when there was oppression. Barak, he even did his part. Even though he was timid, he stepped into the plan that God had for him, gathered the 10,000 warriors and attacked. God did his part. He showed up just like he said he would, just like he always does. And then JL, you might feel sometimes like you're left out of the battle, 
like you're left at home, like you're in the background, like nobody sees you, nobody sees what you're doing. But man, when her opportunity came knocking, she was ready. She was ready. Be ready to do your part, whatever your part is. I pretty much guarantee you that your part won't look like JL's. <laughs> right? But everyone has something to contribute. And are you going to be ready to do your part when the time comes? Are you going to be ready? Are you ready regardless of what your part might be? Whatever God might call you to. If Austin, you could come back and, and play. We're going we're gonna to just begin to respond to God's word right now together. Are you going to be ready? There's a lot to be said about being prepared. There's a lot to be said about being ready when God says go. And just like David had prepared for years and years and years before he showed up for the battle against Goliath, and just like JL was ready when the time came to do her part, man, the challenge for you and for me today is that if you're going to live an unshakable life, if you're going to live an uncompromised life, then you and I, we have to be ready to do our part. Whether that means serving in the kids' ministry or serving in the youth ministry or, or leading a life group or, or serving on an outreach team or serving on one of our Sunday morning teams that creates an atmosphere where everybody feels welcome and everybody is, 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 is accepted. What's your part to play? Maybe your part to play is, is, is standing out above the crowd at your marketplace, at your work, being that person that people look to and come to for advice and counsel, just like Deborah was. Maybe your part to play is being a leader who's not afraid to speak even when they don't have a title, who's not afraid to, to speak when God puts something in your heart, to speak those words of wisdom and words of knowledge into other people's lives. Are you going to be ready? The Bible says in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Are you ready to do that? Wherever God puts you, whatever that might look like in your life. In Matthew 24, 44, it says, you must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. You gotta be ready. Are you gonna be ready when Jesus comes again? Are you gonna be watching for him? Are you gonna be armed with the armor of God, ready to meet Jesus face to face? In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Are you gonna be ready when that friend or that coworker or that neighbor asks you why you go to church, why you serve Jesus, why you do all these things? Are you gonna be ready to do your part? In 1 Peter 5.8, it says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Are you gonna be ready when temptation knocks at your door and the devil comes looking for you? You might say, Joe, come on, seriously, the devil? Yes. The enemy of your soul that wants nothing more than to steal your life, to kill you, and destroy everything meaningful in your life to take your purpose away, to take your future away. A lot of times it's disguised, the devil is disguised by your bad choices. Are you gonna be ready to fight against temptation?
What about in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, where it says, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything with love. Are you going to be ready to stand firm when your life is oppressed? When things don't go like you wished? When things don't happen like you wished they would happen? When plans go off the rails? Are you going to be ready? When sickness comes, when you lose your job, when that relationship starts to fall apart in your life, are you going to be ready? If I'm going to be ready, if you're going to be ready, then I'd better be completely convinced, convicted in my heart and compelled with God's word. I better know what I believe and why. I better be battle ready and spiritually in shape. I better have my spiritual weapons sharp and ready. I, I better have dispelled all doubt and all hesitation in my heart and my mind. I better have trained myself to be strong mentally, physically, spiritually, and relationally. I better have mentors in place in my life ready to lead me who are wise and can help me and guide me. I better know who I belong to. I better know whose I am and who he says I am. I better have strong personal convictions so that when things come into my life, I know the answer. I better be ready with God's word deep inside of me. I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling inside of me. I'm a weapon of righteousness in a world of darkness. Jesus says I'm forgiven. He says I'm redeemed. He says I'm free. I'm not a hostage to unhealthy thoughts. I have divine power to demolish strongholds. I have the mind of Christ directing my thoughts. I have the word of God guiding my steps. I take every thought captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ, right? Amen. Amen. Listen, church, worry is not your master. I trust God. His peace guards my heart. It guards my mind. It guards my soul in Christ Jesus. My God's not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. I am empowered. I am chosen. I am called. I am a masterpiece of God. I'm created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for me to do. God will bless me abundantly so that in all things, at all times, Having all I need, I will abound in every good work. My God is for me. My God is with me. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Nothing, listen, nothing can separate you from the love of God, right? When I'm ready, when I'm ready, I can cast all my cares on Him because He cares for me. When I'm ready, I know that my confidence is in Christ and Christ alone because his spirit lives within me and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Church, are you gonna be ready? Are you gonna be ready to lead when circumstances aren't favorable? Are you gonna be ready to say yes to Jesus even when there's a lot of buts in your mind? But this, but that. Are you gonna be ready? Are you going to be ready to do your part? Amen? Which leads us to the question, what has God promised you? What has God commanded you to do? What is God putting in your life that you have not stepped into? That you're not saying yes to? 
What has been afforded to you by his death and resurrection that you're not taking advantage of? You're leaving and get on the shelf. It's an unwrapped gift in your life. Maybe for some of you, you have not yet given your heart and life to Christ. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about the fact that he died for you on the cross, but you haven't accepted that free gift of salvation that is afforded to you because of what Jesus did. And maybe you're hearing this word today and you're like, you know what, Joe, I'm ready to say yes. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I don't wanna run any longer. I don't wanna try to do my own thing any longer. I wanna say yes to Jesus because Jesus has showed up on the doorstep of your life today and shown you that there's more. There's more. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Joe, I've just been sitting in the background. I've been turning, turning my head to God's commands in my life. I'm a part of church, I sit in the pew, but I've, been, I've just been a spectator. And when God's commands have come in my life, I'm just quietly looking the other direction and hoping that no one notices. And I just wanna encourage you, it doesn't matter if I notice, I'm not the one giving the commands. Jesus is looking at your life and saying, hey, I've got so much more, I've got a better plan, I've got a better path, I've got a better outcome than anything you could ever create with the best job, with the best income, with the best car, with the best house. It's got something better for you. And so where are you at today? If you could bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're just at that first step today and you say, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I wanna say yes to Jesus. I wanna say yes to beginning a relationship with Jesus today. You're at that starting point in your relationship with Christ and you say, Joe, I wanna give my heart and life to Jesus today. If that's you today, just boldly raise your hand to heaven. This is just a physical thing you're doing to say, Jesus, I'm in. If that's you, you say, I want to live for Christ. I give my heart and my life to Christ. Just raise your hand today, amen. Amen, that's awesome. Thanks so much for responding today. And I just wanna encourage you, if you raised your hand, to pray a prayer like this right there at your seat. You could say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I believe that you died on the cross for me. You died in my place to pay the penalty for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you rose again on the third day. Because you did that, I can also live a new life. I can turn my back on my sin and live for you. Jesus, help me as I trust you with my life. Help me to live for you every day. Help me to follow you. Help me to say yes to you even when it's hard. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I really believe, amen. Amen, if you just prayed that prayer, then a new thing, a new life has begun inside of you. The Holy Spirit has taken residence in your heart and in your, in your life, and you're a new creation in Christ. And it's not what you feel, it's what's real. And Jesus says that you're a new creation, and so you can trust and walk in that today, amen? If everybody else, if you could just stand with me today, if you're in that second camp and you're saying, Joe, I'm trying to follow Christ, but man, I've not been saying yes to Jesus lately. If that's you, as I pray this closing prayer, I just encourage you to reach out to God. Maybe you can raise a hand. Maybe you could lift both hands. It's just a sign of surrender and say, Jesus, here's my life. Let's close in prayer today. God, we give our hearts to you. 
Jesus, we want to be like Deborah, and we want to lead even when, when times are tough. God, help us to say yes, just like Brack did, even though he was timid. God, he said yes to you, and you worked mightily through his life. God, help us to be like JL, who did her part, even though it was tough, even when, when it was strange. God, she stepped up to the plate and said yes to you. God, help us to say yes to you, whatever you put in our hands, whether it be leading our kids or leading our coworkers or leading our, our, our spouse. God, whatever it is that you're calling us to do, help us to say yes in Jesus' name. Help us to put timidity away and step into who you're calling us to be in Christ. God, we want to live an unshakable, uncompromising life. And to do that, we need to get your word deep in our heart. And so help us to do it. Help your word to come alive to us in Jesus' name. Amen.